getting your body and mind prepared to train. Get your body and mind prepared to work out. And so people often frame preparedness for exercise around warming up, right? And as much as that's not necessarily incorrect, it doesn't necessarily prepare you for maximum effectiveness in the gym. So uh, one of the things I want to kind of bring to everyone's awareness today is this kind of like systems approach to how we would actually prepare our body to perform at its highest and best, right? So I wouldn't go from my couch and get under a 600-pound squat and expect to be at my highest and best. It, it was, I wouldn't expect peak performance. I wouldn't go from 100-degree weather, even though I'm warm, into the gym and think about squatting 600 pounds or deadlifts, 600 pounds. I wouldn't expect to be prepared, right? So then getting your brain moving going, oh, okay, what actually needs to be prepared for me to do this thing more effectively? So if you walk down kind of the list of systems inside the body that you want to prepare, that you can prepare, you know, one of the most important things that we're thinking about as we walk into the gym or we should be thinking about is tissue quality, right? So what is the quality of my muscle tissue? What is the quality of my, my elastic tissue right now? So like my fascia, my fascia tissue, right? My connective tissue is what I'm looking for. What's the quality of that? Now, what does quality mean, right? So fascia, for you guys that are new to this stuff, fascia is kind of the sheath that envelops the muscle on the outside of the muscle. And it kind of gives the muscle its shape and its structure. And it actually has the tensile strength of steel. You can actually pull an 18-wheel truck with fascia. It's very, very strong. So people think that stretching fascia is a thing that's been disproven. It's, it's literally the strength of steel. Um, you can definitely cause fascia to deform and reform. But as far as stretching, this seems very, very unlikely. But we want to prepare these systems and make sure the systems are ready to do what we want them to do. If you've ever seen fascia under a microscope, it literally looks like an interwoven network of water, like water-filled tubes. So it's like this intertwined network of tubes of water. And so hydration is a really big deal when it comes to making sure your body's actually pliable and doing what it wants to do. And hydration isn't just about water. It's also about minerals. It's also about electrolytes. But one of the first things that I suggest everyone do to ensure you have a good workout, irrespective of the time of the day you're going to train, I suggest you overhydrate before you train, right? And again, that's subjective. But so most of my clients or my, certainly myself, if I'm expecting to have a great workout, it's between one and a half to two liters of water before I train. Now, some people say that may be too much and possibly, but I want to make sure that I'm hydrated and I'm going to throw in some electrolytes with that. So I'm going to make sure that I have some sodium. I make sure I have a little bit of potassium, maybe a little magnesium to make sure my body is utilizing that water. So water is super important inside the muscle cell. Water is super important inside the fascia. So it's really, really important inside the joints. We want to make sure we're super hydrated as well as increasing blood volume, right? Why do we want to increase blood volume? Well, we like pumps, right? So if we want to increase effectiveness of training, just go through in your head, what systems in my body do I want to upregulate, right? We take a systems approach. So in this, in this case, everyone should be starting their workout, pre-workout ritual with one to two liters of water, a little bit of electrolytes, and depending on, on uh, anything else, maybe, right? We could look at some essential amino acids. 
So what is the benefit of essential amino acids pre-training? From my perspective, people will say, well, it's anti-catabolic. That's true. But my bigger concern is what metabolic process is actually being downregulated because of the absence of some amino acid, right? So every, every process, every new DNA strand that's transcribed in your body requires essential amino acids. So if something's not happening properly because there's an absence of some amino acid, it doesn't happen. So let's add that to the pre-workout ritual. All right, so before we even set foot in the gym, water, electrolytes, essential amino acids. Then most of us are aspiring for some type of fat utilization, right? If you're, if you're training very glycolytically, which means typically like high-intensity weight training, there's not a lot of fat metabolism. But for some of us who are doing some cardiovascular type training or some endurance type, type training, there may be benefit to adding the, the um, supplement L-carnitine into your routine. So if you're doing low intent, low duration cardio, or if you're doing more endurance-based weight training, L-carnitine is the rate-limiting factor in getting uh, fat into the mitochondria to be used for energy. Right? So adding some of that in there can be a good idea. Additional things we look at, some people like to th take things that cause increased nitric oxide retention, right? So what does nitric oxide do? Causes dilation of blood vessels. We go in the gym, we want to try to get as much blood into a muscle as we, as we can. Why? Not necessarily because the pump is correlated with growth, although it may be, it may not be, nobody really knows. Uh, but what it is correlated with is increased nutrient delivery, right? We want to deliver more glycogen into the system. We want to deliver more um, electrolytes into the system, more energy into the system so the muscle can contract longer and harder. So nitric oxide boosters have a benefit of increasing the body's ability to get nutrients, think about that way into the cell, nutrient hydration, whatever the cell needs to contract more often. So nitric oxide boosters look like L-citrulline, L-arginine, beetroot extract, betaine. That's probably it. I also add some methylated B vitamins in there, some methyl support, methylation support. So we're just kind of walking through this system by system. Now, caffeine is one of these things that is a bit of a double-edged sword. So Caffeine is vasoconstrictive, where we just say we're trying to vasodilate. So we want to be a little cautious and, can, and consider with caffeine. Caffeine can be very useful if you want to increase neurological output, if you want to increase strength, but it does take away from the body's ability to deliver nutrients to the muscle. So sometimes it's a trade-off. Sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, last-minute decision. Will it increase my performance enough or should I back off? Typically, if we're doing caffeine, my suggestion is stay away from coffee. Coffee can be okay, but in many people, uh, it actually causes increased vasoconstriction. Same with nicotine, causes vasoconstriction if anyone chooses nicotine. So the typical source of uh, caffeine that I suggest is actually from yerba mate. Yerba mate also has additional benefits uh, as far as improving um, glucose utilization. So if you are taking carbohydrates during or post-workout, yerba mate can add to that additional benefit. Creatine can be taken pre or post-workout. It doesn't seem to matter all that much in the research. Most people say take post. But to be honest, I think it's probably a negligible difference. It's certainly not going to make a difference if you take it pre-workout. It's not going to make a difference in this workout. We know that. But it is going to help your body to replenish your creatine phosphate source post-workout. Creatine phosphate is an energy store. It's an energy system. So we want to make sure we're supporting that. Uh, I guess we could also say uh, doing things to, which we talked about in class week, doing things to increase your brain's ability to focus and perform. We could look at doing some things to support, support dopamine. There's really only three supplements I suggest, yeah, basically for your brain pre-workout. 
simple, right? So we do a little bit of L-tyrosine, a little bit of N-acetyl L-carnitine, which is different than L-carnitine. N-acetyl L-carnitine is different. And so tyrosine, carnitine, and alpha-GPC. Those are three things I suggest to most people. Simple, effective. So stimulating without being, um, without generating an anxious response. Now there's this wide array of uh, nootropics that you could take. My suggestion is don't do it. I mean, occasionally they can be okay, but they can also have negative effects on the backside, not literally on the backside, but like on the subsequent days. Okay. So that's when we talk about what to do before you get to the gym. That's it. Now I should also mention that I don't usually advocate uh, carbohydrates pre-workout. I don't usually advocate carbohydrates in the first 20 minutes of a workout, but we can advocate carbohydrates beyond that. So 20, 30 minutes in the workout, you can start. I, I usually suggest putting in carbohydrates. There's a reason behind that. <clears throat> carbohydrates, I may have talked about it last week. Carbohydrates tend to be very sedating, right? They increase serotonin. They tend to make you relax and feel great. So we want to not allow that to happen. We want to feel drive. We want to feel motivated and, and dopamine is the cause of that. So sometimes driving carbohydrates up can really make us feel calm and sedated. We don't want to do that at least till, till a little bit later in the workout. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Bioptimizers, an incredibly longtime sponsor of this podcast because... They have amazing products that you continue to buy because they work. I think every one of my clients is certainly on masszymes. I take that consistently every day. I like to take a lot. I like to take five in the morning on an empty stomach and then three to four with each of my high protein containing meals. This really help, helps me extract the protein from the meat and the ultimate protein sources that I'm consuming rather than just eating it and assuming that my body's going to utilize it. I want to make sure that my body can digest, absorb, and assimilate all these highly cost, uh, high cost proteins and high quality proteins that I'm consuming. It's not just about what you consume. It's about what your body can digest, absorb, and assimilate. So I highly suggest you head over to bioptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10 to get 10% off. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S, bioptimizers.com. Use the code MUSCLE10. They've also got an incredible suite of incredible products from P3OM to support digestion, Capex to support people on a ketogenic diet. And you guys all know my incredible, uh, how much of an incredible fan I am of their product, um, Magnesium Breakthrough, which is seven different magnesium chelates. Um, and they're also expanding their line consistently every year with research and doing incredible products. You guys get hooked up with 10% off all of their products. Head over to buyoptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10. I'm very blessed to be able to engage with and work with a lot of very, very high-level athletes. And people who are uh, elite athletes, call Olympic athletes, pro-sport athletes, their nervous systems are so well-tuned. Their nervous systems are uh, exceptional. They're world-class. They're obviously the best in the world. And someone who is an Olympic athlete oftentimes is typically genetically very sympathetically driven. What that means is, so when you think of the autonomic nervous system, sympathetic, parasympathetic, Someone who you see kind of relaxing and really slow and really um, lethargic almost appearing, that's parasympathetically oriented. Someone who's sympathetically oriented uh, tends to be a little bit faster, a little bit, you know, really, really speed oriented, explosive in nature, tends to be a type A personality, go, 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 hard time slowing them down, really easy time speeding them up, right? And this is a continuum. So if you think of someone who's really sympathetic in nature, high type A personality, 
goes really, really fast, doesn't take a lot to prepare for workout. They're just always ready to go, right? They can walk into the gym, boom, they're ready to go. So on the other end of that, somebody's parasympathetic, they need 20, 30 minutes to warm up. It takes them a little bit long to get going. Once they get going, they're going, but it take, they're, like, they're more like the, like the freight train, right? It takes a little longer. The, the sympathetic is more like the speed train. The, the parasympathetic is more like a freight train. It takes a little while to get going. Once they're going, they're good. It takes a little while to get going. So someone like that, I'm guessing, it's my speculation, would often be a type A personality, likely be very, very lean, likely has amazing insulin utilization because they're very lean and they're Olympic athlete. So their body will use whatever they put in, right? Their body, they can put any type of fuel in, their body uses it well. Like a Michael Phelps kind of guy, he can eat whatever the hell he wants, but he's so lean, he's doing so much work. Someone on the other end whose body composition isn't quite perfect, maybe their inflammation's a little bit elevated, maybe their insulin sensitivity's not good, have that little bit of carbohydrate, and all of a sudden they want to have a nap, right? That's kind of how you get opposing prescriptions or opposing approaches pre-workout. Sometimes with those guys, I, and you know what, to be honest, I was like this during my career. I would usually consume some type of carbohydrate before my workout, even though I'm, I'm saying not to, because I tended to get too stimulated. Like you guys know this about me, but I wouldn't ever, you know, everyone's like, listen to heavy metal when you train. I would usually listen to classical music. Why? Because getting too stimulated was never, or was always a problem. Getting stimulated, getting up for the workout was never a problem. Getting too stimulated was my problem. I get 30 minutes in the workout, I'd be fucking gassed because I was like, was like ready to run through walls. So I actually had to learn to calm my nervous system down so I could extend the workout. Otherwise, I was just like, I was, I was just too amplified. You know, like caffeine before the workout, no way. I was, I'd go crazy. So I was very, very stimulated. So for me, I would often go and have carbohydrates before the gym, just like, because I didn't want to have, I was almost like anxious. I was almost like on edge because I'd get so pumped for the workout that I had to like calm myself down. Because if you haven't looked at your DNA, it's a useful thing to look at your DNA. I think it's called the CYP1A gene, CYP1A2 or CYP1A gene. That tells you how quickly you process caffeine. So SIP is like CYP1A, 1A2 or 1A something. There's a number of them. How quickly you process caffeine. So personally, I process quick caffeine very quickly. So I can uh, drink caffeine a little bit later in the day and I'm going to sleep pretty well. Some people are very slow caffeine processors, which means if they have caffeine at 10 a.m., they're going to still, it's going to keep them awake at night. Or even if you don't realize, it still keeps you awake. So there's a lot of genetic variances. Again, I personally don't think caffeine is necessarily a bad thing. Certainly, I think coffee is, has, is, has utility, but again, within reason, right? If you're someone who's always stressed out, if you need caffeine to wake up in the morning, it's always this acid test of, do you need it or do you like it? If you need it, it's a big problem. If you like it, one, go enjoy it. We'll move on to preparing your body, right? So preparing your body has multiple levels. And the reason I started in the beginning talking about tissue quality and tissue's ability to move is because obviously the way your tissue moves, the, the kind of sliding of the myofibrils matters and the sliding of the fascia matters. Sometimes the fascia gets uh, adhesions. And that's so when people talk about fascial adhesions, as far as my level of knowledge, and guys, you guys can feel free to weigh in on this, fascial adhesions is not a physical thing, it's a chemical thing, typically. Right, maybe it is a physical thing sometimes, but chemical thing basically means if your tissue, if your if your tissues are well hydrated, and you have enough electrolytes and you have enough minerals, the fascia glides. The fascia glides really well. It's just like viscous rolling over itself. And if it's if it's dehydrated and lacking the minerals, then it tends to get stuck. So the body kind of feels rigid, feels tight, and feels inflamed. So first and foremost, before you get in the gym, make sure you're taking care of your tissue quality. It means collagen sometimes as well. But when you get in the gym. The first thing you got to look at 
is do I have the range of motion necessary to, to train this muscle? Do I have the requisite range of motion? So for example, how many people do you see that want to build their pecs, but they walk like this? And they, when you ask them to kind of get their arm, they can't extend their arm back this way, right? Well, you're never going to build your pecs. So for you, training or preparing for exercise, maybe well, I need to improve my mobility at my shoulder, my mobility at my spine, and my scapula, right? So the first thing always is, do I have the requisite mobility? A good example is hips. How many of you guys have tight hips, tight hamstrings? Well, I guarantee your ability to build your legs is significantly impeded if you don't have adequate mobility at your hamstrings and your glutes and your, and your adductors, your hip flexors, right? You have to make sure those things are able to move. So the first thing you're going to do when you get in the gym, well, and this is not necessarily stretching, but this is like some, some mobility stuff, mobility slash activation. Typically, the best way to get your body moving well is to get it moving well, right? Like actually start moving through the ranges that you're going to want to rehearse in the, in the training session. So what does a warm-up look like? Well, if I want to train my hips, the first thing I want to start doing is like exploring, like, hey, how, what does my hip look? And this is obviously an example of my hip. Like, I want to kind of paint the inside of that joint. Like, what does that look like? Can I, can I do some hip circles, right? Can I do some one-legged stuff? What can I actually do adequately without discomfort? I can't squat or lunge with my own body weight. What sense does it have adding more weight on top? Right? You guys should all be the master of your body with body weight. Master. If you're not a master of body weight, what the hell are you doing adding weight on top of it? Right? If you can't breathe, if you can't walk, if you can't squat, if you can't lunge, everything on top of that is dysfunctional. So think it through before you just go, hey, I'm going to oh, go add a bunch of more weight on it. This is a huge mistake everyone in the world's making. Right? They're going, I'm going to go work hard. You can't work hard. It's like trying to drive your car faster when you've you got one wheel turned sideways. Like you got to fix the alignment first, right? We got to make sure your alignment's on right. Then we got to give you precision steering. Then we can give you a bigger engine. So think that through. Don't just go ahead and go harder and go faster. Fix your stuff first. So spend a good 10 to 15 minutes improving the way you move pre-training. That doesn't necessarily just mean stretching. That means exploring the ranges that you have to control during the workout and making sure you have the, the prerequisite strength to do that. Now, remember, here's how we do this. First, we challenge time. Then we challenge distance. And finally, we challenge load or resistance, right? Times first, then distance, then load. So if I want to improve my mobility in some position, I simply go there and spend some time there. Right. So if I want to get better at the bottom of a squat, go there and spend time there. This is not passive. This is active. What's the difference between passive and active? But I'll just go there and relax. I go there and see like how hard can I contract in these positions? So that's you know kind of physiological or physical prerequisite number one. Second, we want to amplify contractile ability. I can't go in and squat 600 pounds even though I'm warm. I have to first squat 100, then 200, then 300, then 400, then 500, then 600. Right. I have, to, I have to amplify my nervous system's ability to recruit more muscle fibers per unit time, per contraction. So think about that. That's kind of the next step, right? Do I have the stability, the, the, sorry, the mobility, the stability, and then ultimately, you have to start amplifying the ability of the nervous system to contract. So those are what we call activations. So if you want to train your pec, if you guys have a weak body part, any weak body part, go through this process. Because anyone comes to me and goes, hey, man, I can't build, insert X body part, glutes. I can't build my glutes. I already know you have terrible hip mobility. I already know that you're weak in the short position. And I know you can't get to the long position 100% of the time. That, so I know your mobility is bad. 
I know you're weak in the short position. I know you're weak in the length position. So you're weak at the extremes because you can't get there. You're too weak to get there. Does that make sense? So we have to improve your mobility to open up the range a little bit. And then we improve the ability's ability to contract in that range. So how do we do that? Get good within the range that you're able to contract in. So let's say, sorry, you can't really see my lower half, but let's say I want to get better at contracting. Maybe I can't pull my shoulder back, right? Because I'm trying to build my pec. My shoulder stays up and forward. Well, first thing I want to do is like practice keeping that shoulder back and down. And maybe I load it in some direction in that position. And then I can progress it from there. That's a really simple way. Actually, let me, let me reverse into one more thing. I didn't quite touch on, you have to be aware of all of the joints involved in an exercise. So squatting, for example, most people just, oh, it's just, I'm just going to train my hips. I'm just going to loosen up my hips and my knees. But then you forget about your ankles. And I would say probably you know, a good percentage of the time, back injuries and knee injuries are actually caused from your feet and your ankles. Like, I don't want to say, I don't know a number, but like a pretty big percentage of the time, knee and, and hip and back injuries actually caused by, by ankle, lack of ankle mobility. So always consider all of the joints involved in your exercise. Now, one final thing, all movement, all, all human movement initiates at the spine, right? So everything happens from the inside out. So we want to make sure that this, the, sp- the trunk and spine first has mobility, the ability to move. And the ability to not move. So we want to create fluidity and be able to move through ranges and make sure it's even on both sides. And then I want to be able to create the ability to not move through rigidity. Does that make sense? So when you guys are training, it's not a bad idea to consider doing some abdominal training, to consider doing some glute training, to start stabilizing the trunk and spine and pelvis. Not a bad idea. Almost always. So I can watch somebody move and I can go, oh, clearly the way they move, they're going to be glute dominant or quad dump, whatever, right? And so we can learn to manipulate the mechanics of the exercise to completely disadvantage any, any, bo- any body part we want to. So if someone's got a strong body part, let's say for me, for example, with my quads, I could have very easily later in my career when I finally learned this stuff, not later in my career, maybe early in my career, but when I finally learned this stuff, I could then flip it around and learn how to take the quads out of the exercise and emphasize the glutes way more. So an example for the ladies, you can definitively build huge glutes and not have huge quads if that's your goal, right? We could definitely do that. And guys, we could definitely build big quads without having big glutes. There's going to be some development there. Like we don't want to have no glutes and huge quads. and We don't have no quads and, and huge glutes. That may not, well, it may work, but it may end up causing imbalances and pain. But we could do it. Yeah, we could definitely do it. So it's just, yeah, it's just Stevie learning how to manipulate the mechanics. So it's like direction of force. Um, you know, the, the muscle that's kind of initiating the movement, basically. The way that I think about this, this is relevant to all you guys too. Your body will always, 100% of the time, default to a position of strength. So if I put 100 pounds on my back or 500 pounds on my back, my body's going to go to the strongest possible position that it has to move that weight, right? So if, if I'm put up, let's say I have 300 pounds on a bench press and, my, and I'm coming down on my chest, my body goes, oh shit, my chest can't do this. Your body goes, I'm not going to rip, I'm going to change. So your body has, has in, that, in that moment, has three options, right? It's like, well, I can fail, I can uh, tear, or I can cheat. That's it, right? So it goes, oh, I'm going to cheat to use whatever muscles I can. So if you're exceeding the muscle's ability to contract or exceeding the range of motion you have control over, your body goes, well, I'm going to tear, or I'm going to fail, or I'm going to cheat. So I always goes, yeah, let's cheat. Let's, let's change the form. 
So you have to go, uh-uh, I don't want to change the form. I have to stay where I want to, where I want to do this and maybe decrease the load and actually use the, the muscle correctly. So it's a simple way to think about it. Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content, leave us a review and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive Muscle Intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.